Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to NASCAR America. I am Carolyn Mano. Full coverage of Kyle Busch's victory over Chase Elliott at Dover is ahead, but we start with the mass shooting in Las Vegas. Our thoughts are with the victims and their families, and we have seen heartfelt reactions throughout the NASCAR community, which has extensive ties to Las Vegas. In addition to being home to several drivers, the year-end banquet is held out on the Vegas Strip, and the truck series raced at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Saturday night, about 20 miles from the scene of the shooting the night before. NASCAR Steve O'Donnell said this morning on Sirius XM Radio that all of NASCAR's employees who are in Las Vegas have been reported safe. And Las Vegas Motor Speedway is also reporting that all of their employees have been accounted for. And the track offered this on Twitter. We are heartbroken by last night's tragedy in the city we love. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victims their families and first responders and many others in the NASCAR community are sharing what they feel today on social media. NASCAR tweeting this, our thoughts are with those affected by the tragic shooting in Las Vegas and we keep all of those impacted in our hearts. And we'll let you read some of the reaction from drivers and others as they reacted to the tragedy. Kyle Larson weighing in here. He was one of many Cup Series drivers who offered thoughts today, and this one from Justin Allgaier. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. Truck Series driver Jordan Anderson raced on Saturday night. He was in Las Vegas at the time of the shooting. Jordan saying this morning, praying for everyone in Las Vegas right now. We were in the Luxor this morning, which is a Las Vegas hotel. When the shooting went on, safe now. And as we continue to look at some of the voices that we heard from, here's Delana Harvick, Kevin Harvick's wife, speechless, gutted, heartbroken praying for all of those in Vegas. The entire motorsports community sharing their thoughts. And then of course, the Bush brothers, Kurt Bush, along with his brother, Kyle, from Las Vegas and Kurt offering absolutely heartbroken to wake up to this, praying for my hometown and those affected by this atrocity. Stay strong, LV, I love you. And then your race winner from Sunday, Kyle Busch, devastated to hear of the senseless tragedy in my hometown. My thoughts and prayers are with all of you. Hashtag pray for Vegas. Coming up next, we're gonna break down Bush's win yesterday at Dover. NASCAR America continuing after this. 
You want pressure, Rick? This is pressure. Dover International Speedway. It's the Monster Mile, one of the toughest tracks that the Monster Energy Series will visit all season long. Great flags in the air. Four guys will be eliminated. The 42 of Kyle Larson picking up speed. Brian Blaney, he has had his hands full. Banked at 9 degrees, the corners 24. Moving up to second, Kevin Harvick. Three wide as they exited turn two. Brad Kozlowski wins stage one at Dover. This is the monster mile. This is the marathon. Kyle Larson will win stage two at Dover. Kyle Busch is coming on very quickly. Looking to get back to victory lane. Kyle Busch is going to win at Dover. Bush started the season 0 for 20. Now he has won four of the last nine races, including yesterday at Dover. Meanwhile, Chase Elliott continues to give himself chances to win, but once again, he comes up short, passed with two laps to go Sunday, marked the fifth second-place finish of his young career. So now we move on to the round of 12, a close call for Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who advanced by a narrow margin. Four drivers are eliminated, while this year's dream lives on for a dozen of NASCAR's best. Carol Amano back with you alongside Brian Vickers and Parker Kligerman. Now we've got a lot of discussion from Sunday's race coming right up. Uh, with less than 50 laps to go, Kyle Busch was more than four seconds behind Chase Elliott. Though Busch was already into the round of 12, he went after the win. And you know what? He got it. Nobody has won in the number 24 except for the man on the left side of the screen, Jeff Gordon. Chase Elliott continues to hug right along the apron. But look at the 18. He's closed the gap. The 18 almost on the back bumper of the 24. The 18 has absolutely nothing to lose. He's already advanced into the next round of playoffs. He's just trying to get more points. He can take more gambles than Chase Elliott can. Two laps to go. Two miles remain. Chase Elliott fighting for his first win in the Monster Energy Cup Series. Here comes the 18 on the outside. Chase Elliott trying to hold on on the bottom. The momentum on the high side. Kyle Busch is going to pass him for the lead. One lap to go. Kyle Busch, earlier in the race, had led 29 laps. But as he goes by the 24, Kyle Busch looking to get back to victory lane. He makes his way out of turn four. Kyle Busch is going to win at Dover. That was hard fought. That was everything I had, obviously. I was trying to get there and got stuck there for a few laps. Wasn't sure I was going to make it all the way. And then I was like, you know what? I got to try the top again. The top had been working. It kind of got me there. And I got up there, got to the top, and uh, got rim riding and got the momentum on the straightaways. And that carried me by the 24. So, uh, man, just uh, awesome. This one's a hard fought one. And I. I know Chase is hungry. I know he's been trying for a couple years to try to get his uh, get his first Cup Series win. But I've raced with him for a long, long time in late models and uh, and coming up through the ranks in the Xfinity Series and, and now here in the Cup Series. And uh, I just man, I saw that carrot hanging out there and I was going to get it, you know. And so uh, just gave it everything I had. And fortunately, it was enough. We had a little bit fresher tires than he did. That drug us right to him. But uh, great show for the fans there. With all the angst of me trying to catch him, I wasn't sure if I'd get there. And then finally being able to pull the move off and uh, and winning this thing with just a couple to go. I just so disappointed in myself. Golly, that was – couldn't have had it any easier. Ran green from the stage break all the way to the end and gave it away. So I uh, appreciate uh, our, my team and, and their efforts today. Our pit stops are great, and they kept us in the ball game, and I uh, I didn't.
That was Parker that Elliott was talking to on the track. And a short time after that, he offered additional thoughts at the media center. Chase, a really strong run out there. Obviously not quite the finish that you were hoping for, but you do move on to the round of 12. So what does that mean for you and your team? Uh, not as much as the disappointment today. So that's, uh, man, such a such a bummer, such a uh, such a disappointment for my team. Um, don't really have a whole lot to add. If I had a clean track, I could have run as fast as he did, um, but I did in, and and um, you know should have done something different. So that's just on me, and um, he did a better job than I did. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Jimmy said that he said some stuff to you. Did that? Does that make it any easier for you? You know, knowing that other people have been there too. Uh, well, you know, I certainly appreciate his uh, his friendship and uh, him willing to to come over and and um, you know and talk to me. But um, you know, yes, that I think it kind of shows the kind of person he is, but doesn't fix uh, you know my lack of performance this afternoon. All right, Chase, thanks for coming in. We'll see you next week in Charlotte. Let's welcome Steve Letarte into the conversation now. He joins us from Burton's Garage. Steve, good to see you. Uh, we'll start with you here on Chase Elliott. Clearly upset, you know, after Sunday's race. What was your reaction to, to the way that he sounded there after the loss? Well, I think that's how a race car driver should sound after a loss. It was obviously a devastating blow to a young man who is looking for his first win at the cup level. But more than how he sounded after the loss, what he did on the racetrack really impressed me the most. He, I really think he had the opportunity in those closing laps when Cobblish made that move off turn two to his outside to really squeeze Kyle up into the wall. He could have taken uh, the aggression to a limit that we don't normally see on the racetrack, but I think it would have been uh, acceptable for your first ever win. He chose not to do that. He respected racing. He respected Kyle Busch. And he raced him cleanly, and ultimately that, among other things, cost him his first win. It reminded me a lot of Kyle Larson racing Matt Kenseth the same way back before Kyle Larson had a win under his belt. And I think um, that's what I took away from it. I know he's disappointed. He should be disappointed. I'm glad to see the disappointment because that's how important trophies are. I think sometimes that gets lost in the playoff picture, that trophies mean that much, that uh, not everyone's going to win 80 or 90 races like Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. And – Chase Elliott wants to win his first, and that's what you saw on his face when that race was over. Was that racing clean or cracking under pressure or both? No, I, I think, I mean, look, it was clean racing. I, I think Steve made a very good point. I mean, I love to see a young man out there racing his heart out, putting it on the line. You could see how upset he was, um, but not playing dirty. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect and admire that. Look, Chase is a great driver. He wouldn't be in that car if he wasn't. He's got wins coming. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't think anyone, for anyone, there's a doubt in their mind. I mean, look how, how, how good he performed and how, good, how well he's performed this year. He's going to get his wins, and he may go on to win 80 or 90. We don't know. There's no way to know that. Um, but he hasn't got his first one yet, and that's the hardest one. And that one really hurts. I've been in that position before where I've had, you know, you have your first win slip away from you a few times. And, and, and you know, after one or two times, it just really, you just start asking, like, what, what am I doing wrong? And, um, but he's going to figure it out. I, I'm confident of that. The team's going to support him. They're going to rally around him, and they're going to find a way to solve this. One interesting thing happened after the race to me, which was a fan came up and said, why is Chase so hard on himself? Right. And that's been a theme with him when he's had these losses. We see him really get down on himself, you know, kind of I didn't do it right. I didn't do this right. You know, it's my fault. 
I didn't have the performance. And I've even been one of those people there that's kind of been a little harsh with him in terms of how much he gets down himself, you know, to not be able to find the positives. But I think what Steve said is really pertinent because that's what Chase Elliott needs to do. And speaking to his crew chief, Alan Gustin, before this race and asking about not being able to get that first win, he said, yes, it's a failure. But he said, I don't think Chase dwells on it. But what I have noticed is that he feels like when they come down to the end of the races, instead of thinking about what he needs to do and what's going to happen, what's going to go right, he's thinking about what's going to go wrong. And that's what that does to you, right, Brian? Yeah. Because when you lose that many times, it starts to get into your psyche. It starts to kind of trail you and, and haunt you a little bit when you come down to the end of these races. And I think that's the thing that we're going to have to see is can Chase Elliott overcome that mental wall between, getting into victory, between losing and getting in victory lane? Steve? Well, I do think, though, a fair assessment would be this isn't all on Chase Elliott. Why, that's easy to do, and he had, without a doubt, the most to do with it, the guy behind the wheel. Um, I don't think there's blame to spread around, but there is some knowledge, and I think it's going to be important for Eddie to hunt, Chase Elliott's spotter, Chase Elliott, and Alan Gustafson go back and review the closing laps of that race because when you look at the lead that Chase Elliott had with, say, 50 laps to go in that race, about a four-and-a-half, five-second lead, I think it's important that they go back. I mean, this is what Kyle Busch was able to do. He was able to go from about five and a half seconds back all the way down to ultimately pass him. But look right in the center of that graph from lap 370 to 380. In 10 laps, that's almost two seconds. That is a major chunk of time. And I think the team needs to go back and review what happened from lap 340 to 380. Once he gets to a second and a half back, that's driver against driver. That's what we come to see. That's the superstars performing. But you know, Brian, you know, Parker, as race car drivers, you only know what you see out the window, what you feel from your race car and see out your mirror. And at over two seconds back, I'm not sure Chase Elliott knew where Kyle Busch was or how fast he was coming. So I'm not placing blame, but there's something to be learned here. Very important for those three individuals to go back, review the radio and be very honest. Chase Elliott needs to be able to raise his hand and say, hey, guys, this would have helped me. This knowledge would have helped me if you would have told me this, because this is not the last time that Chase Elliott is going to be leading a race in the closing laps. So let's take this defeat. Let's learn from it. Let's move forward. That needs to be the goal of the 24 this week. Well, absolutely. And I can attest from the driver's seat, particularly at Dover, a high-banked racetrack, one-mile track like that, it's really difficult to see very far behind in your mirror, much less in the middle of those turns. I mean, you're fighting for every inch in your life getting through those turns at those speeds. To be able to look back and see where Kyle's running, no chance. A, you know, your spotter should be relaying to you, hey, Kyle's moved up. He's found speed in the high lane. You still got time to go move around, try some different lanes. Maybe that was said. I didn't hear that said on the radio. I don't know if you heard it. And one other thing I'm going to point out to him, and Kyle did an unbelievable job, and we've talked about how great of a job he did catching him. But I also want to point out when you're the leader, traffic's going to be harder on you because you're the only guy that matters, yep. right? I mean, but once the leader passes the lap car, they're lapped down, and they generally just get out of they the way for the second-place yeah. car. I think we saw a lot of that here. I mean, the traffic was really hard on the 24. You know, they, they fought him really hard, including Ryan Newman, but he wasn't the only one, and Ryan was doing his job. That's exactly what he should have been doing. But then when Kyle got to him, they just moved out of the way because second place doesn't matter. And the thing That's is, you mentioned the radio. I was listening to the radio, and I did not hear a lot of instruction about what was happening behind him, what the 18 car was doing. And, you know, to flip that to the other side, there's other cars on the racetrack, like the two car of Brad Kozlowski, who's getting information throughout the race about other cars and where they're running, even if they're not around him, let alone racing for the win. So I think there was a little bit of failure there. We also had a little bit of a disagreement between Alan Gustin and Eddie DeHunt at one point when Eddie was trying to say the 18 was catch him, and Alan said, no, he's not. So I think there was, a, you know, there's a little bit of confusion there. There's a little bit 
where they could have helped Chase, but I'm going to give Chase a little bit of positive outlook. His Hall of Fame dad had eight runner-up finishes before his first win. Yeah, so certainly little, not uncommon. But now that you guys have all mentioned the radio communication, we have a little bit of it. And so let's play some of that for you now from both the 18 and the 24. See him slipping up here, six to go. Keep hitting your marks. Five more right here. Push through Newman and you'll be okay here. Five to go. He's hung in his wake. Let's work this traffic. Three to go. Two by two in front of him. Newman mid shade in bottom. Clear ahead. All clear. Two to go at the line. Two to go. Newman shade in bottom. Black 51 top. Three up. A run coming here. Watch your mirror. Two back. On the top. Outside. Drive off here. And they're full. Quarter. Clear. White flag. One more. With a wet flag here. Stay tough. We'll get to you. Watch him jacked up here. Come checkered. Atta boy. Yeah, I'm so sorry, guys. So sorry. Thanks, guys. So, David, appreciate that one. So, Steve, are, what are you hearing in there? Are you not hearing what you need to hear? Well, I think that's awful late in the conversation. I think when the 18 car was 20 car lengths back or 15 car lengths back, Chase Elliott knows it then. He can see him on the straightaways. What I want to know is how they lost the five-second lead. I need, think we need to go all the way back 50 laps earlier. And does Chase Elliott know that the Kyle Busch is trying the top, not because, hey, use it when he gets to you, but use it before he gets to you to see if it's an option. I see Chase Elliott basically letting Kyle Busch have the top because he has to have the bottom of the racetrack going into turn three because that's where he ran Unfortunately for him, that's also where Ryan Newman ran. So, you know, I think that, that the whole idea is you have that lead. They had the opportunity to communicate and listen. I also think Chase Elliott did a great job. I don't want to discount what Kyle Busch did. Kyle Busch put a drive on in the last 50 laps under green at the Monster Mile at the high back racetrack, working traffic, moving up the racetrack, finding a new groove. Really, that move by the 18 kind of just proved with a little bit of stamp that he is a championship favorite, and this is why. Because I agree with you guys up there. Chase Elliott is a heck of a race car driver. But Kyle Busch showed his experience, and that's the experience it takes in the playoff battles. And we've only seen it. Remember, this is only round one. We still have races to go. You know, every driver wants different communication from his crew chief and his spotter. And that's what Stevie was alluding to, which was they need to sit down and figure out what they need and, and what 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 Chase needs to go win races. I didn't hear the things I'd want to hear. I didn't hear Kyle was two lanes up. He's trying to top, you know, go get, go get that clean air away from him, right? Get up there in front of him, see what your car can do. I do agree with Steve. It should have been happening way sooner, but even there at the end, I wasn't hearing what I'd want as a race car driver. Something else I'm going to point out too on Kyle, not taking anything away from him. That guy drove the wheels off that car to get this win. But we've seen a lot of this out of the Toyotas. The Toyotas are really good long-run cars. We see it out of the 78. We've seen it out of the Gibbs. More of the Gibbs lately, the 78 all year. The Toyota cars are really strong late in a run. And I think that played a role as well. The key thing you said there, clean air. Take away the air. I talked to so many drivers and crew chiefs who said the reason you move around at Dover in the Cup Series is to get clean air. So if you move up top like the Chase could have, taking the air off that 18, there's no telling if he ever gets by. I was really only one part of the story from the weekend because the playoffs, of course, and championship contenders and who is going to go home is the other part. So we're going to look back at the pit strategy by Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and the 17 team, which ultimately led to a spot in the round of 12. Our panel is going to weigh in on Stenhouse's day when we come back.
education and here the NHL is back on Wednesday a new season begins with a double header here on NBCSN first at 8 p.m. the Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins taking on the St. Louis Blues and then at 1030 the Flyers meeting up with the Sharks so make sure you mark that one on your calendar meantime an early strategy call from the 17 team proved to be big for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. on Sunday on lap 82 Stenhouse found himself 10 points below the cut line behind Ryan Newman. And at that time, green flag pit stops got underway. Soon after, Jeffrey Earnhardt brought out a caution and Stenhouse stayed out on the track and found himself in prime position. Still out on the racetrack, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Maybe trying to use a little strategy here, hoping that a caution may come out and catch quite a few cars. He's got to get it. There's a car in the barrels on the entrance of pit road. Much like you pointed out, Jeff, it's so difficult. Jeffrey Earnhardt was trying to get slowed down. He had to get on the asphalt too soon. Lost grip, spun around, and backed into those barrels. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. at third. That is really the huge, huge decision. We talk about this. There are moments within this race that aren't flashy. They aren't impressive. They're not three wide. They're not anything courageous. Small decisions can make the difference whether Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is in the playoffs or not. This one was a huge decision in their favor. Brad Kozlowski wins stage one at Dover. The fight for fourth goes to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He will earn seven points. Well, those points that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. just earned have changed the ball game. You know, it was a bummer. The last two runs was probably our worst runs of the day. Uh, just couldn't really get our fast and all forward going good enough. I was really loose in, really tight off, and it's tough to, to fix a car when it's like that. But uh, we feel lucky. Um, you know, we caught the caution there at the right time. Patty kept us out. Uh, great strategy, and, uh, and it paid off. We were able to get some stage points, and really that was a turning point sure. of our day and really uh, gave us a lot of buffer. We just didn't have what it took, and... Um... You know, you can't run what we ran the last three races and expect to go out and win a championship. So we got some work to do to build on for next year, and we'll do that. It started off pretty good. We were headed to the front and um, really good on that first long run, and we pitted and the caution came out. Pretty much was it. Uh, Stenhouse getting those stage points. His car was no good. We were better than him all day, and it would have came down between me and the 31, and um, we, we decided we had to run long right there to see if a caution would come out to put everybody a lap down to get us on the same strategy Stenhouse got his points on. So just uh, it stinks, uh, but, you know, I'm proud of my guys who fought hard. I would have liked to have the battle down at the end with the 31, um, but that first caution when uh, Jeffrey spun, it, it just kind of killed our day right there when he got those stage points. So, Steve, we heard Ricky say Patty. That's his crew chief, Brian Patty. You spoke with him after the race. What did Brian Patty tell you? Yeah, Brian and I had a conversation last night because while it was a tremendous call that really was the lucky break, we just documented it staying on the racetrack. Later in the race, I was very vocal. He decided to stay out when the 31 hit pit road under green and ran 15 or 18 laps longer than the 31. And on the broadcast, I thought that was a major mistake. I thought he was putting himself at risk. I thought he needed to pit with the 31. Well, I think Brian or, or a family member was listening as Brian called me and he walked me through his thinking there. And I'll have to admit, he had it covered. He basically told me that he knew, staying on the racetrack, the amount of time he was losing, um, and that he pitted at the moment where he knew there was a risk of losing more than one lap. So he wouldn't go to a point of losing two laps. He understood the risk, and he stayed on the positive side of that, trying to perhaps get another lucky break, but in his mind, never putting himself in position to lose the points battle. And I'm going to tell you, it was a two-point battle. So... 
Brian Patty having the courage to make both of those pit decisions is exactly what Brian and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. need to continue to do through the entire playoff sequence. Let's be honest. Are they going to line up and outrun the 78 or the 18 or the 42? I think they would sit right here in this program and tell you they haven't been able to. They don't think they can anywhere other than Talladega. So Talladega, you call the race to win the race. Everywhere else, I think they need to continue to be on whatever strategy Brian sees fit to give him opportunity. That's what he did at Dover. The opportunity paid off. But it was always fun. Talk to an old friend who reminded me that uh, he had a pretty good idea of the pitch strategy. He uh, didn't agree with me, but it was a fun conversation. Yeah, but you know what? You're a crew chief, so you're used to being yeah. held accountable. Now you're just an analyst, yeah, yeah. and you're also held accountable. So you got to answer those phone calls Never and explain. An easy one for you, Steve. But you know what? That's okay, because you're in a difficult situation as well, trying to understand the strategy when you're not on top of the pit box as an analyst. But uh, I know. Funny I, moment. I, I mean, I'm with him. I, I was questioning as well how long they were standing out again when they were in that position as Steve said that was a two-point battle so I mean at that point going as far as they did at the end of the race was once again just an amazingly courageous call by Brian Patty and that 17 team and I just think this was one of the gutsiest coolest drives I've seen in modern day NASCAR I mean knowing what they were up against knowing that Ricky Stenhouse was told before this race that it was one of the most important races in Roush Fenway racing history to get to the second round of the playoffs and then to go out there and perform and make it happen with the weight of that entire organization on his shoulders is just incredible they were able to pull this off. And this is what's awesome about this playoff format is that we saw a performance out of this race team that finished 19th, but that 19th should have, I mean, really had the weight of a win on it. In some uh, it, it really did. And, and I think you touched on something, and I learned a lot from what Steve just said there, his conversation with Brian, which was they weren't taking uncertainty. They were taking risk, but it was a calculated risk, right? And there's a big difference between gambling, not knowing what the risk you're taking is, not knowing what the outcome could or couldn't be. But Brian had methodically thought through it, calculated, okay, we can go this far. We have to pit by this lap to stay in position, and, and, and it paid off. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they got I to I can do. tell you that Steve actually knows all about calculated risk because I played a little blackjack with him, and yeah. he's really good with numbers. <laughs> well, Steve, this is the whole thing that I've been wondering about since the playoffs have started is you hear the word luck, you hear the word strategy, you hear the word risk, and then, Brian, you bring up a great point in calculated risk. I mean, what are the percentages here for a crew chief and how they weigh very difficult mm -hmm. situations that have playoffs? implications well it's not a linear line it's a complicated curve because who are you talking about I think the risk for the 78 with all of his playoff points is very different than the 17 which is very different than the 24 and that's why as an analyst in the booth I try to understand all of those positions spend time with them in the garage area and try to give my opinion it doesn't have to agree with the person on the pit box I disagreed with Brian during the race but having those conversations after the race make me smarter make me a better analyst because this risk and this gambling and this calculated assessment is going to continue through the playoffs. Because one thing that became clear yesterday is the value of a stage. We talked about it all regular season, and I don't think everyone kind of believed, and the 78 proved it with the playoff point. But very simply, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. will line up this week at Charlotte as a playoff contender because points were awarded at lap 120 at Dover. If it's the old format, then the 19th place finish is nowhere near good enough. Yeah, it's a great point. And then you think about Ryan Newman on the other side of things, just losing out to Stenhouse by a mere two points. He's now eliminated from the playoffs as you look at the leaderboard here. After the checker flag, Newman defended his strategy in the final laps during a brief exchange with four-time Cup Series champion Jeff Gordon. What's that, What's that? What was happening for the Eagles, man? 
don't think I was racing for my own position? I didn't say you were. I said, just I watch just, what you say, man. I said thanks for the help. No, you, you said it was a smart man. Oh, I Steve, you've been a crew chief for Jeff Gordon. We heard what Kyle Petty had to say about this exchange, and we heard from uh, Parker and Brian on Victory Lap last night as well. What are you taking from, from that exchange? Well, I think Ryan Newman's 100% in the right. I think he was trying to fight to be on the lead lap. If a caution comes out, he needs those two points. I think uh, Jeff probably wishes he didn't stop to say whether he had any motivation for the comments or not. Um, he knows what it's like. He knows disappointment. He missed the playoffs one year of his career. He knows how disappointing Ryan Newman is in that moment. Uh, and I think that's what you see right here is him trying to defuse the situation. Whatever his initial comment was and the motivation behind it, I think very quickly Jeff realized this wasn't the time nor place to have this conversation. So I'm going to be the, the smarter of the two, and I'm going to walk off before I create something that uh, I can't put out. Yeah, you did see him make a pretty I would definitely hasty back off exit. from any comments I would have said to Brian Newman as well. I, I, he's a pretty intimidating character, if you ask me. Well, Steve, I mean, it, it, it is an interesting position to be in when you are dealing with a driver who just got out of a car, right? I mean, Brian, you yeah. know what it's like to just finish a race and you just miss out on the playoffs. And so maybe Jeff yeah. Gordon realized in that moment, you know what? Maybe I meant this a couple of different ways, but I'm dealing with, with the uh, wrong scenario right here. I'm pretty right sure here. he meant it exactly the way Ryan took it. But that being... <laughs> <laughs> that being said, you know, look, I, I think, you know, let's look, we're all pointing to like, I don't think Ryan did anything wrong. I think, I think Ryan did exactly what he was supposed to be doing. He was, he's worried about his team. He's not worried about Chase's first win. But I also think, you know, look, Jeff doesn't drive anymore. But, but, but he's still part of the community. He's still all, he's a partner in the 24 car. Um, he has a vested interest. He has a right to the table. He has a right to sit, speak his mind. Um, but, you know, uh, actions have consequences. <laughs> I mean, you know, he has, I think Jeff has a right to speak his mind, but that doesn't mean there's not consequences. And Ryan Newman never moved his line. He ran the bottom the entire time in that, yeah. in that whole thing. And I remember when Kyle Busch gets past the 24, he drives right around the 31 coming there to the checkered flag. So I definitely think Ryan Newman's in the right. Jeff Gordon had to say what he said, and he has a right to do that. He's, you know, there's emotions after these races. That's what sports are all about. It's about emotion, and especially for drivers, when you've definitely just gotten knocked out of the playoffs and not had the playoff, the first three races that you wanted, as Ryan Newman had. I mean, you're gonna anything said your way, you're gonna, you know, go after a little bit. And I think that's it's both of them were completely in the right in what happened there, but. As I said before, I would definitely be in Jeff's shoes afterwards, being like, yeah, no, I, I didn't say it the way you heard You know, it. honestly, Steve, the playoffs are here. A lot has been made about this seemingly simple exchange. Maybe too much has been made about it at this point. What, what do you think? Oh, I look at it very simply as this. A simple exchange became this big of a topic because that's the pressure of the playoffs. We say it, but I don't think people hear that. But that's truthful. That comment at race 20, eh, I bet Ryan Newman lets it pass but not at the end of the round that he was knocked out of. And this is only going to continue to amplify because, let's be honest, going into the, the first round, there were two, probably three, maybe even four cars that you could arguably say didn't have a great chance. Well, at the end of the next round, I'm having a hard time picking my four. And then at the next round, it gets even more difficult. So as it becomes less, less obvious, the pressure goes up, and so doesn't the disappointment if you're the car eliminated. Yeah, and it's too early to pick those next four because, man, we just need a little bit more time. We just eliminated <laughs> oh, the first picking. four. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to put we you on the that spot. Last night. We're not. Yeah, a fan asked us to do it last night. I will say, just to put a cap around this whole thing between Ryan Newman and Jeff Gordon, there was uh, a writer who tweeted out a photo. Here it is, right here, John Haverlin. Um, he basically said that this appears to be an apology uh, between Jeff Gordon and Ryan Newman. 
I'm not going to ask any of our analysts to speculate on what the moment was. It appears that that could have been the case. So maybe Jeff Gordon uh, realized that he needed to circle back with Newman after he was just eliminated from the playoffs. That is what it is. And we will move on. Uh, coming up with the round of 16 complete, who is the early title favorite? We're going there. Forget it. Martin Truex Jr. or Kyle Busch? That's just one of several big playoff questions that our crew is going to attempt to answer when we come back. Welcome back, everybody. So as we enter the round of 12, the remaining playoff drivers are reset to 3,000 points, plus the respective playoff points that they have gained all season. Martin Truex Jr. starts out again as the top seed, while Kyle Busch is second at 18 points back. So with that in mind, we have put together some playoff questions for our analysts uh, based on the stories that we've seen so far. And I think the playoff leaderboard is exactly where we should start. So first question up. And Brian, you know what? I'm going to give this one to you. Who's the favorite entering the round of 12? Is it Martin Truex Jr., who's been dominant all season, or is it Kyle Busch, who has won four out of the last nine? I'm going to stick with Martin Truex Jr. I, I, yeah, I, that team has just performed so well the last two years. Um, they have such good performance. I mean, just week in, week out. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Kyle's obviously been really strong the last couple of weeks, but it's going to be hard for me to bet against him. Okay, Truex. You're Truex. I'm going to have to agree with you, although I don't want to, but I think you're right. I think Martin Truex Jr. and that team have proven to be one of the, the team to beat on mile and a half. So you have Charlotte and Kansas for mile and a half. Talladega, of course, maybe I'd hand more to Kyle Busch's side, but I definitely think the 78 car is the one to beat Man, in two out of three know, races. I don't know why I feel like Kyle Busch momentum is a very dangerous thing. Steve, what do you think? Where are you right now? I agree with that statement you just made. I think momentum is the key, and the momentum for the 18 car is heading his direction. I think the 78 has the history, but history means nothing when it comes to the playoffs. Oh, I think the 18 man. is the favorite in the round of 12. That is a tough – that's a tough mm. question right now. That truly. is a tough All right, one. what's the next one? They're very evenly matched. What's the next uh, playoffs round? Okay. Oh, you know what, Brian? I'm going to start with this one again with you. Um, hardest round to get through in the playoffs because we talked about this a little bit last night. Oh, I, the last round. I mean, you know, everyone goes in even. I mean, right now we've got these playoff points. You know, the 78 – uh, starting with 59 extra playoff points. You know, Kyle starting with 41 in this round. Um, you know, you go to the last round, everybody starts at zero. Uh, that's going to be – I mean, obviously it's the hardest round, but there's four guys going in dead even, no advantages. If anything goes wrong, you're toast. I have to agree once again because oh, here, and here's my problem. The, the reason is, as racers, we know – how much can happen in one race? How many variables there are in one single race? You think about throughout your whole career, all the different things that have happened in a race, and now it comes down to one race to decide a championship against three other competitors. That's an incredibly tough position to be put in. If we get away from that one, I'm going to say the round of eight for sure because that is just also a tough round, having to find yourself in a position where you're most likely going to need to win to get to Miami. Okay, so two different answers for me. Uh, okay, you know, I kind of agree. First of all, Carolyn, I'm not going to agree with two drivers. And Parker, there are only four rounds. You can't pick two of them. So I, the simple, I'm the, just saying the if simple I were thing is the here is uh, it depends on who you are. I think Miami is the hardest if you're the favorite, but I don't think it's the hardest round for everyone in the playoffs. I think they continue to get harder. So if we just look at the first round, look, this is real simple. I mean, you want to make the math as complicated as it is? Here's how I look at it. In the round of 16, 75% of those drivers are happy when that round is over because 12 move forward. Then after that, we go down to about two-thirds. Two-thirds of the field advances, so they're happy. The round of eight, 
Only half the field advances. I actually think that's the toughest round because the championship four, while it's only one out of four, it's for the championship. And I really feel that any team that has a chance to line up on the grid at Miami with a chance to win a championship, Carolyn, they don't talk about how hard it is or the pressure. I actually think they all talk about the opportunity to hoist that trophy. So I think the round of eight, because you're so close, you do not want to be eliminated without a chance at that trophy. Steve, I love your stats and statistics, but isn't are you kind of pointing out the obvious here? Are you telling me the green flag is green? Well, for I mean, smart people man, like I've you, Brian. I've worked with drivers a long time, Brian. I think the obvious <laughs> is important to point out. All right, we're going to go through one more question Gas here. Gas is on the right, brake is on the left. <laughs> exactly. <Got it>. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. Um, do we have one more playoff storyline questions for our analysts? Who is more dejected after Sunday's race, Chase Elliott, Austin Dillon, or Ryan Newman? Steve? Uh, I think instantly Chase Elliott, but truth be known, by about Wednesday, it's going to be Ryan Newman and Austin Dillon because they're done, and the playoffs are continuing on. They'll unload in Charlotte, and Chase Elliott will have a lot of chances to win another race, but those two other drivers, they lost their chance to win a championship, and I think that is the bigger picture when it comes to this time of the season. Now, Steve, wait, wait, well, I, I, didn't he just pick three? I feel like I think, yeah, I, 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 hold on, one second. <laughs> I feel like you just picked all three He just three picked all drivers. three. I, he just picked up. Look, the crew chief can't count. That's what we Chase, Chase Elliott. <laughs> the, the, you know, look, I don't know that Ryan or Austin felt like, honestly, if we're being honest, that they were, they were in contention to win the championship at the end of the year. So moving to the next round is wonderful. But if you're not going to win the championship, at the end of the day, it's still kind of pointless, right? The guy that's most dejected after that race is Chase Elliott. I'm going to say neither of them, any of them. No, I'm going to say the, mo- hold on. the most dejected was Richard Childress Racing who had two of their drivers, and their only two drivers in the playoffs, knocked out. Richard Childress Racing now has no chance to win a championship. So you still we, we just, no, we I just, just said the team. We just wasted three and a half minutes, and Brian <laughs> only gave us, like, the most compelling single answer to a question. Steve, what do you not understand about answering these questions directly? Hey, listen, I was good at my SATs. I figured out if you filled in every bubble, then one of them's right. <laughs> All right. I don't think that works. That you know way. what? We're going to keep working on it. We're <laughs> going to keep putting our strategy together for how we're going to execute uh, those segments in the future. Coming up, um, the 18 team is going to be featured in our pit crew review, of course, as we do every week. And also a reminder for you, we want to give you the lineup for our Hall of Fame shows over the next three weeks. So this Wednesday, we're going to have David Reagan and Landon Castle from Front Row Motorsports. Next week, Danica Patrick is going to join us for the entire hour. And two weeks from tomorrow, October 17th, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is our special guest at the Hall of Fame. So make sure you're with us for those. Those are fantastic shows. The NASCAR playoffs continue next weekend in Charlotte, Saturday at 3 Eastern, right here on NBCSN. It is an elimination race for the Xfinity Series Sunday, the first race of the round of 12 in the Cup Series. That one's at 2 Eastern. That one's over on NBC. Well, Kyle Busch was masterful Sunday in the final laps from Dover. Throughout the race, his team helped put him in position to contend for a win. So with that, we give them a shout-out in our pit crew review. He makes his way out of turn four. Kyle Busch is going to win at Dover. My name's Trey Birkeland. I'm the Jackman on the 18 M&M's Toyota Camry. When you have a driver like Kyle and uh, Adam Stevens on the box, you, you just try not to screw it up. And, and we did good enough today to, to not screw it up. It's just one of those days where the driver did, did most of the work.
You know, Trey Berklin and the new 18 crew had a tough start to the playoffs at Chicagoland, but that is firmly in the past now as they have contributed to back-to-back wins for Kyle Busch at New Hampshire. And again, on Sunday at Dover, the Monster Energy Series makes its second visit of the season at all three tracks in the round of 12. And among the remaining playoff drivers, Jimmy Johnson has the most wins at both Charlotte and Kansas, while Brad Keselowski holds that distinction at Talladega. Steve, let's start with you because I know you wanted to discuss where we're headed next in the round of 12. Who do you think has the advantage? Is it, in fact, Jimmy Johnson, whose stats really tell the story? Well, you know, I usually love to study stats, but the problem you're going to have is Jimmy Johnson's been so dominant in the playoffs that he can lead about any category you want to look at. But I think it's unfair to look at the performance over the last decade and try to measure this year. So I think that the handicapping from Brian Vickers – and Parker Kligerman were very accurate when they said the 18 and the 78 are both so good at the mile-and-a-half tracks. But one thing I have highlighted at Charlotte is, remember, this isn't a Saturday night race. This will be a Sunday day race on NBC, and it's going to be a totally different racetrack. Both of those drivers in the studio with you could tell you that in the middle of the day, Charlotte is a completely different facility. It has less grip. It has multiple grooves. We haven't seen a race like this in quite some time that the teams have prepared for. We've seen a few rainouts, but that's different than knowing you're going into a day race. And I'm looking forward to see what drivers perhaps don't have all that grip at night, but find a way to adapt during the day. Well, I definitely second that. I, you know, I, I love Charlotte as a night race. I mean, every track under the, under the lights is really cool, but that, that track on the day is unbelievable. You're going to see so many great uh, grooves, so much passing. One thing I do want to point out looking at those stats is Ricky Stenhouse. This is, I mean, everyone's looking at him as the wild card. That could be his race. That's his way to advance to the next round. And one thing to add about Charlotte is that they're actually going to be using the PJ1 Grip Enhancer, actually. It's one, oh, we're one, talking traction yes, compound Yes, we traction compound again. Traction our compound. favorite thing, <laughs> traction compound. So that's going to make that race even all the more different. Uh, but I have to agree with you. I think, you know, when you look at this round, Talladega, that is the X factor. That is where someone like a Ricky Stenhouse Jr. or a Jamie McMurray could go out there and win and really upset the pecking order of this round of the playoffs if they're able to advance themselves to the round of eight. And here you see Ricky Stenhouse doing that masterful job of winning this race back in May. And I think this is what many of the teams, when you look at a Jimmy Johnson or maybe a Brad Keselowski or, you know, really a Ryan Blaney, the 21 team, this is what they don't want to see. They don't want to see Ricky Stenhouse or Jimmy McMurray go win that race. Absolutely. I think you're going to see a different race this year. I think the playoff points is going to change how these teams approach Talladega. In the past, it's all about just getting through without crashing. Now that these lead teams have a cushion, I mean, you look at some of these guys, they've got a full race cushion. No matter what happens in that race, it really doesn't matter to them. They're going to be racing completely different. They're going to be racing harder. And now it's going to be all about who wins the race. Who's the wild card that wins, not necessarily who's the wild card that crashes. So difficult to predict. And I know all of Junior Nation as well appreciate the top 10 this past Sunday. Maybe they're hoping for a miracle at Talladega as well. He'll be the spoiler as he wanted to be at Dover. When we come back, uh, we are going to revisit the top story in the country today. That is the tragic shooting in Las Vegas. Some final thoughts from our analysts on what happened today when NASCAR America returns. Before we say goodnight to you, another look at some of the images coming from Las Vegas. A gunman opened fire late last night on a crowd of more than 20,000 in the deadliest shooting in modern U.S. history. At least 58 people were killed. More than 500 were injured, and the NASCAR community has been sharing their thoughts on social media all day, as Las Vegas is a place where the sport has multiple ties. 
And Sherry Pollux, a girlfriend of Martin Truex Jr., offering this on Twitter. Laying here getting round two of chemo and can't help but pray for our country and those sweet, innocent people in Vegas. Hashtag stop the hate. Hashtag perspective. And Pollux has been undergoing treatment for ovarian cancer since 2014. So a thoughtful message there from Sherry. And Steve, while we have just a couple minutes here, I'll open it up to all of you as members of the NASCAR community. Um, Your thoughts and reaction to what we saw in Las Vegas. Well, Carol, I think it was impossible for me to really put much thought into it. The the whole concept is so unimaginable. My brain really can't uh, get around it. Las Vegas is a town that I'm fortunate enough to go to with NASCAR, usually a couple times a year for the banquet. It's a great city. It's a city of entertainment, and that's what so many people were attempting to do last night is enjoy a concert. And um, I agree with all the sentiment that you've seen on social media, just how sad it is. Just this weekend, I had so many friends there that were in town for the truck race, either covering it on television or or participating in it earlier this weekend. So it's tragic. It's awful. There's, There's no words that I probably could come up with that really made it accurate description of what I saw so all I know to do is to move forward and I think the only way as Sherry says to you know stop the hate is to not let it win so this weekend at Charlotte we're going to gather with thousands and thousands of people and watch a sporting event and not let this craziness and this awful thing change how we all live as Americans so we're going to try to move forward from this and, and celebrate what we do again on another weekend at the racetrack yeah I mean I'll second all that I mean I've been Fortunate to spend a lot of time in Vegas, and, and it's such a wonderful community. My heart breaks for those people that have been involved in this, their families. Um, my thoughts and prayers are with them. You know, Vegas gets gets the label of this, this entertainment party place, and it has some of that, but there's a lot of really thoughtful, amazing, caring people in that town, um, and I really feel for them. Uh, since waking up this morning and seeing the news, I know coming in to do this show, it's, you know, talking about NASCAR and racing has felt horribly insignificant compared to what some of these families are going through from the victims. And uh, I think Steve said it best, though, when you think about sports and our role in tragedies like this is to move it forward, to go out there and, and continue to entertain people and, and show the lighter side of things. And I think that's what we can do going to Charlotte is focus on great racing. All right, our thoughts and our prayers and everything else are with everybody that's been affected by the tragedy, and that's where they'll stay. And that's all for NASCAR America for now. Uh, for all your news, you can always log on to macsports.com slash NASCAR. We'll be back Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern with Scanall from Dover. So we'll have that for you tomorrow. In the meantime, thanks for watching. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.